0: Okay, Dustin. Okay, Cody.
1: Here we go. Here we go. Week uh what was this 14, 13, 12. Uh, let's see. Ford. I forget what episode
0: this is. God, it's
1: 13, I think.
0: But I know Maybe. we are talking to Aurora Ford. Yeah. And so I'm going through this and I'm editing it and I realized that her dog I forget the I forget its name, but it's this ma- it's a mastiff. It is a massive dog.
1: Is it a massive dog or is it a mastiff? Both. It's and both? And it's sitting- I was
0: there. <laughs> and it's sitting on the couch with her as she's podcasting with us. So I I did my best to try to take those those uh, dog panting sounds out, but you may hear them. People
1: tend to like dogs. It'll make them just feel good, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: No, he was a great dog. It was a good dog.
1: Yeah. We got a dog right outside the studio right now. Clyde, your dog. That's right. Black Lab. Oh, uh, killing it he goes in for surgery on Monday does he yeah mouth tumor okay 13 and a half years old let's hope he makes it through yeah I yeah it's
0: uh thoughts and prayers that's right so as I was going through this podcast or as I'm going through this podcast with Aurora one thing that really uh stood out to me that I, I really really liked is she talks about patient thinkers and by that she means, certain news outlets or certain commentators on the news who she subscribes to. And she refers to them as patient thinkers, as opposed to these kind of reactionary, you know, thinkers, I guess people that are reacting to the news as opposed to, um, gathering up all of this knowledge that has led up to a certain situation and, being more contemplative about actually what's happening in the world today
1: well it kind of makes me think of like uh our our little like tagline or slogan or whatever listen more than you talk i mean the whole theory behind that is like hey before you just start opening your mouth and acting like you know something maybe listen to the other person gather that information right and there's a lot of people not doing that right now especially in journalism exactly and
0: i think that it's probably most important that the journalists are doing it because they're the ones that we need to look to for our information.
1: Yeah. Actually, I was thinking that about, like, Aurora coming over here because she's, like, a journalist, but she's kind of the one... She's, like, an important journalist because she covers issues that are, like, important to your society that you might not know about. She In, she calls it the dark shit. The dark shit, yeah, exactly, but... You know, it's like that's the kind of journalist we need and, like, the one that can make you understand that person, that person's identity, what they're going through, through their writing, through their journalism, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. You're not necessarily trying to change somebody's perception or, like, warp it through, like, journalism, what you're writing about, but you are trying to grow it. You know what I mean? And in order to grow something, someone has to be outside of their bubble or their world. And if you can get that person through your writing, through your video, whatever you're doing, however you're doing your journalism, that's kind of the, that's kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. And and you know that's what Aurora tries to do. You've you've worked with her, right? I mean, yeah.
0: One thing that I really like about Aurora, and Aurora is easily one of my favorite writers uh, working in Alaska, because she does. Talk about that dark shit the stuff that gets swept under the rug the stuff that Alaskans who tend to romanticize a lot of Alaska tend to ignore and she
1: just you know runs straight for it yeah exactly and that that's great because um it's it's not all like perfect here yeah you know
0: and journalism is isn't the only thing we talk about in this podcast and I know we're kind of going a little extra long with this but we also talk about her working at the Covenant House and we get into child sex trafficking and so she she has done a lot of research on that. She actually wrote an article for Crude that's coming out pretty soon about that where she talks to people who either work in it every, not work in it every day but work with the
1: people affected by the trade. Exactly. Now that Now that you're kind of reminding me i can remember thinking this is dark yeah and like this isn't a happy subject and it's kind of sickening to hear that there's like an industry built up around the exploitation of women like this and that it's here in alaska
0: yeah And, and a lot of people don't know about it i mean she hits us with some pretty startling statistics things that that puts alaska uh at the top of some of the lists yeah
1: so before we get should we talk to- about something happy real quick before we jump into it because there is some happy stuff too in there
0: yeah let's think. Let's. uh before we explain the entire podcast <laughs> <laughs> let's let's uh let's talk about our company men uh, that we always have to give a shout out to seward
1: brewing company seward brewing company and trina duber trina duber And I I think there's a couple more coming in here shortly. You keep saying that, and I keep waiting. Well, it's for our listeners out there, you know. Jump in there, (laughs) patreon.com. Give it a shout. Give it a check out. Patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's right. Yeah, don't forget the slash crude magazine. You might end up on somebody else's Patreon and uh, subscribing to some other whack shit. (laughs) Um, No, but uh, let's see. Anchorage, it's cold today for sure, like 32 degrees. We just had a bunch of rain in November. That's kind of crazy, but I guess it can happen. Um and we're kind of just waiting to see what Winter's going to do here, right?
0: Yeah. So is there anything else we need to to mention
1: before we get into this? Um Oh, you know I was going to think, you know, this is a this is a female guest, right? And I'm looking I really want to like be able to interview more females. You know what I mean? So if if anybody out there listening knows a badass Alaskan female woman? Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Is that kind of a weird way to say it? It
0: just seems so like biological. It's like, are you male or female?
1: I know. It's like (laughs) looking for a robot, Alaskan. (laughs) No, um, I would say, you know, hit us up on our Instagram at crude uh, meg. We're on there. You can send us a message if you have any ideas of some uh, cool women that can kind of help us explore the... uh, The Alaskan
0: experience.
1: Exactly. Who Alaskans are. That'd be awesome. And, And other than that, let's just jump into Aurora. I know I'm stoked for this one. Yep. Let's do it. Word up. Mike is hot. Mike's hot. Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude.
0: Crew conversations. Listen more than you talk.
2: Go to work. So what's the rules? Like, if, if I suddenly have to pee in the middle of this, can I say I have to pee and go? Absolutely. That'll be, okay. No, nope, okay. you have to, you have yeah, to pee in here. No, I can't. Well, I mean, I meant, can we, like, pause and, you know, I did. Click. We can always pause.
1: Okay. i are going to pause and go pee for sure, because I can already feel it coming, but it's not here yet.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> Dustin can feel it coming, but it's not
2: here yet. You are going to make a lot oh, of noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: so we basically just podcast with dogs yeah basically oh, just baby. this
2: enormous dog
0: hi. he's gonna have
1: to be in the photo with us hi baby oh yeah
2: yeah so what is going on in aurora ford's world what what's going on in my world is too general of a question i don't know all the things w- what are the important things um well okay so i work at covenant house now and i really like it even when it's really kind of sad and hard because you get to know some kids that have been through a lot of scary shit and um i don't know but it's the most fulfilling job i've ever had in my life is to be a part of that whole team so
0: so far do you have an emblematic situation of the youth that you encounter
2: um one that made it hit home the first time Mm -hmm. yeah you know there was a yeah i was writing about this recently because i had i had Um, they want us to keep a blog, you know, because we're going to try and start having the staff and the youth and whoever just tell more stories about their experience being around Covenant House. And so I was sort of keeping track of um, my impressions as they happened, especially like being a newer employee there or whatever, and not being from a social services background to begin with, like what surprised me and what was um, unexpected. And I, I was like, trying to prepare myself for something to really knock me backwards like some story that i heard some shit some kid had been through that was going to be just really like really overwhelming and that wasn't what did it i remember walking downstairs to go get lunch one afternoon and i was still pretty new there and like uh you know there's a cafeteria style area um where everyone goes and gets food and you can eat lunch with the kids and then go back to your business or whatever um so I had like picked up my food and I was kind of walking past the tables and I heard over my shoulder my coworker say, "Hey dude, you can come sit with us if you want to." And I turned to see who she was talking to and there was this kid sitting by himself at the table and he looked like he could not have been more than 11 years old. He was really tiny and he was just like really drawn in around himself and like like he just didn't fucking belong there. You know what I mean? He was a baby and 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 I couldn't it just really hit me full force like you know what are you doing here who who let you go who why are you here
1: when you say why are you here what what is the here what's Covenant House
2: Oh, well, I guess we should yeah okay so Covenant House is the only um, shelter for youth in the city and one of the only shelters for youth in the state and we have we have a lot of kids that are from Anchorage but a lot of kids that you know they come from the villages or from out-of-state like they're gonna seek new opportunities here um, but they don't have any family or support system. Um, maybe their family already lives on the street, and so they end up they end up with us. So We have kids from all over the state, uh, but we serve youth that are thirteen to twenty years old. So, I mean, it's it's technically it's a homeless shelter. We try not to refer to it that way because it's pretty badass in there. I don't know if you've ever visited before, but like. There's a full basketball court and a gym, workout room, rock climbing wall, music room, art room, computer lab. Like there's a chapel for anybody that wants to practice faiths of their various sorts. Um, Like a big open room with a fireplace. And like we, we have had kids say before that like they didn't realize they were living in a homeless shelter until they had been there for a while. And like, oh, oh, that's what this is, you know, because we it was designed in 2013, partly with specifications from the kids that were living at the old covenant house downtown. Um, so in building it, they got to incorporate a lot of the things that the kids had just really said that they wanted, you know what I mean? That would make it, make it more, more fun for them to be there and less, less like a crisis center. So it's a pretty cool place.
1: How many people can it hold? How many kids?
2: Um, I think we've got beds for up to 62, but they're like, it's like sort of dorm style, you know, there's two or three beds in each room. Um, but it's just, we try to make it really comfortable. Lots of living rooms, lots of, like, game areas, and, you know, yeah. What's something
0: that you had no idea that that you learned while you were there? Like, you had no idea before, and then you're there, you're like, holy shit, how did I not know this before?
2: I didn't know a lot about trafficking before I started working there. I didn't know that that was, like, a huge fucking problem in the city. Can we curse? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, just making sure. We prefer um, it. Yeah, we
1: curse as much as you want.
2: Okay, good, good. That's uh, That'll make me more comfortable. Um, yeah, I knew sort of largely because of some work that my friends had been doing that's like it's a bigger and bigger problem across the country because it's easy to traffic people on the internet. That's made it easier. Um, but what I've learned since working at Covenant House and like I did some interviews with um, special agent at the FBI um with a lady that runs a trafficking victims organization that's that's all they do and like i want to say this the correct way because i don't i don't ever want to like let me think about this what i've learned is that there are people that come up here specifically from the lower 48 because they know that we have like a built-in already traumatized population of mostly alaska native girls that have just been through so much already. They're homeless, they're really easy to take advantage of. You can turn them into a profitable commodity in a very short period of time without having to like, you know, whereas like a rich girl from service, you know, if you like, if you're gonna pretend to be her boyfriend, you gotta buy her a bunch of purses and take her on a bunch of dates and like there's this whole breaking in process. Sort which, of high school. Yeah, sorry, which is, uh, you know, the rich kids on the hillside. Not all of them, of course, but that's, they're, they're more highly concentrated up there. Um, Yeah. So, and that's, you know, a couple, I don't know how long ago it was, but we started shipping prisoners that we had um, down to the lower 48. I don't know if it was because we didn't have enough room. I, I remember that it was happening. I don't remember the circumstances or why, but we started shipping them down to prisons in the lower 48. And then when they would get done, get out, they would come back up here. And the idea at first was to just like lower our costs for housing those people. But what ends up happening is that You just send people to get indoctrinated into huge nationwide gangs that have all these strategies. Trafficking is a big deal, especially down in, like, California and Oregon. It's, like, really, really big problem, and we're sending people down there. Well, they learn all this stuff about how, you know, you can run guns or drugs, and those are going to make you money, but they're way more risky than just having a girl in your car. You know what I mean? You get pulled over with a bunch of heroin, you're going to jail. You get pulled over with a girl in the car, and as long as she doesn't say anything, and it's like a— as disgusting as the sounds to say out loud. It's a, like, she is a commodity that you can sell over and over again. So it's, you know, more profitable, less less risky, and there's a population in Alaska of young women and men. I mean, it it does happen to young men also that are just, yeah, easier to take advantage of. So that shit I did not know a lot about before I started working at Covenant House.
0: How does trafficking in Alaska compare to down in the States?
2: Um harder to get away from if you're up here is one of the other things that I've learned like we're geographically isolated it's not like you can pay 40 bucks and hop on a Greyhound bus and get to the next city and escape whoever has got you so yeah curbing trafficking is that's hard to do um there are a lot of areas of the country that have um indigenous populations who are you know I don't again this is the thing that I sort of don't I feel weird talking about them as if they're victims, and that's like the way that they should be known to people because I don't feel like that at all. And I think it would really hurt some of their feelings for you know, to hear a bunch of fucking white people sitting around a room talking about like the problems that Native Alaskans have. And I don't want to portray it that way, but these are the words coming from traffickers said to the people that have arrested them at the FBI. Um, so that's a that's a sticky one. and I yeah, I just want to be careful to say like the right things, basically but um unique situations yeah indigenous populations suffer from trafficking a lot um you know because people think that they're more easily victimized populations you can go scoop them up and and they go missing there's a whole project right now about like Mm -hmm. missing native alaskan and native american girls because nobody's really even fucking keeping track of that shit Mm -hmm. and the numbers are astounding um and that's that's presumably where a lot of those young women have gone. You know, if they just disappear for no fucking reason, um, there's, so there's like a high likelihood that that could be part of it. But we are it's compounded here because we are geographically isolated. There was a, a study done by Loyola University out of um, Louisiana, and they went to 10 Covenant House sites in America and in Canada, and like high-crime cities. So there was like Oakland, Detroit, New York, Alaska, um, another city in California, New Orleans... Um, and they just went to Covenant House sites and interviewed the young people that lived there, and found that of the. And and here's the other thing: like, most kids are not going to come out and say, "Oh, yeah, I'm a trafficking victim." They either don't look at themselves that way, um, they don't realize that what somebody has asked them to do or put them through in the past is trafficking. They just figure, like, "Oh, my boyfriend needed help; we fell on hard times," you know. So, so getting people to realize it and admit to it is difficult as it is. But what they found was that across all sites. Um, the average number of young people that live at Covenant House, nineteen percent of them had been trafficked or were currently being trafficked at that point. So and in Alaska, in yeah, one in five. In and Alaska, that's here, no. Alaska. That's nationwide. Well oh,
0: that's nationwide. Okay. In
2: Alaska it's twenty eight percent. Twenty eight. Of the kids at Covenant House have been or were currently being trafficked when they did the study in twenty sixteen. So can you shit. can
1: you explain what does it mean to be trafficked?
2: The definition is that you under, it's force, fraud, or coercion, get somebody to do something that they don't want to do so that you can profit off of it. So like a pimp is trafficking somebody. Like we need to sort of redefine that whole scenario. You know, it's been like glorified in rap music forever, which I love rap too. Like I get it, you know, but um, it's sort of a problem because it really normalizes all that. Prostitution is two people, right? There's a John and there's a prostitute and she's keeping the money and by and large, That's not happening in very many places around Alaska anymore. Because if there's a third party involved and that third party is keeping the money and they say, you know, I'm offering you protection or whatever, you can go get your hair done, I'll buy you nice purses, then that's a trafficking situation. Most commonly, it's like we do, there's massage parlors up here where they're shipping girls up from the lower 48. A lot of them don't speak a lot of English. So even if they were willing to come forward and testify, they don't know a lot about the organization at the highest level that's like shipped them up here to work. But by and large, the most common story that we hear at least about young people is, you know, it's a girl and maybe she's homeless or she's couch surfing or she's like, you know, living in a house with 15 people in it, you know, because she doesn't have anywhere else to go and it's not safe at night. And um, some guy goes, they go find her and tell her, oh, you're pretty. And and in a lot of those cases, those young women have not had a lot of positive attention from, you know, men or boys in their life. And they're just, you know, they're like anybody else. Like, everyone's looking for love, right? And and then um, and so they, they start
1: grooming them, right?
2: Yeah, yeah it's a grooming process. It's like, it's like a scout for this, like, horrible mm-hmm. industry. Yeah, exactly. They wait at airport terminals when, you know, young people are coming in from the villages. Um, they'll go looking for, if you're walking around the mall, one of my coworkers, one of the program managers at Covenant House told me this. But if you're walking around the mall and you look like you're like a 19 year old girl, particularly if you you know you have a backpack on, you appear to not have anywhere to go. You're by yourself. Um, you won't be out there for very long before some dude will approach you and you know offer you know Hey, you want to come hang out? Do you want to party? You're you're pretty. Let's let's be friends. And it's um they end up in a trap house, stuck like sometimes held by force. So horror stories.
0: Do you know how much time a trafficker gets in jail if if they're caught?
2: No, I don't know. um they don't get caught very much because somebody has to testify, yeah, and that's you know one of the biggest things that's like bothered me so much since I start learning about all this is that like say the FBI does find enough you know trafficking victims to testify against somebody, even if he goes away to jail. It's not going to be for very long. It's like you know most sexual assault charges you end up in jail for 6 years or some shit like it's not it's not nearly as long as people deserve in my opinion mm-hmm. of course but um even if they can convict somebody the girls lives are not ruined you know but it's like a steep road to recover from having lived a life like that traffickers don't get in that much trouble and there's always somebody to take their place but who doesn't get in any trouble at all is the people that are buying those girls and that really bothers me and What the fbi told me is that what we don't have is a lot of money and resources to be trying to track down johns like i don't have any problem with prostitution in general if there's two people involved and they're consenting adults i don't give a shit but if somebody else is keeping the money and you walk into like a hotel room and it's obvious that this girl in front of you probably hasn't really slept or eaten in a week like what the fuck are you doing there Mm -hmm. that guy should be prosecuted that's what i think there are lots of women that are over 18 that are, you know, involved in the sex trade or whatever. What's generally true, by and large, is that they didn't start out in the trade when they were 18 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, like they may have, maybe they were being trafficked from 14 to 17. And like, this is the only way that they know how to make money. And now they're, you know, making their own decision to be sex workers, which, I don't know. Um but it didn't didn't frequently start out that way first of all so there like probably was maybe not probably I guess I can't say that for sure it's possible that there was a trafficking situation that sort of created that uh, not lowered boundaries I don't want to piss anybody off you know what I mean we- <laughs> because but just if you've already been doing it forever like you you don't have boundaries surrounding those things um there's part of it but desensitized yeah sure sure so um That in part. But also, I'm sure that some of those women might be annoyed by me saying this, but what I learned from the FBI and the people that I talked to is that there's, yeah, there's just not a lot of prostitution left in this town because it's not safe to do so. If somebody sees that you're online and you're not like claimed by one of the gangs in Anchorage, you're not making money for them, like you're going to get beat up real bad. You're going to get hurt. You're not a freelancer for very long. And then, mm-hmm. which again, obviously, obviously there are situations in which none of this is true. And, you know, like some girl goes to a bar and she decides to turn a trick or whatever because she we're can and nobody ever knows outliers, about it. Right. right. We're, right. We're not talking, talking about the outliers. The outliers. But this, this town is divided up by gangs and there's not a lot of girls working on their own is mm-hmm. what I have been told. So kind of switching gears here. You wrote for the Anchorage Press? I did.
0: For Susie
2: and David Holdhouse. And
0: David Holdhouse. How would you categorize the the topics you covered?
2: Well, they were almost all ugly. I think they figured out pretty fast that like I'm not uncomfortable in sad situations. So whenever some you know, somebody would die or the opioid epidemic and it came like I got to go, you know, talk to somebody that's lost a kid or um write about things like trafficking. I guess I didn't ever do any of that for the press. They sent me to all kinds of weird, you know, pro-life rallies that were super disturbing and all of that. I don't know. Um, they gave me the dark shit, which I liked. I appreciated that, that like I had an outlet for that and they never, um, at least at the time, policed what I wanted to say. And yeah, they were willing to, they were willing to talk about, you know, shit going on in this town that I think if the ADN was willing to touch it, maybe not so in depth, maybe much more concerned about like who was going to be pissed off about what they said. And at the time, when you and I both wrote for the press, I didn't feel like they gave a fuck mm-hmm. about that stuff.
0: Well, I think that that's what a true all-weekly does, yeah. is I was and still am a fan of your writing. And Thanks, the man. reason that I am is because it pursues those ugly, gritty corners that people try to tuck under the rug in a city. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing right now is a lot of shit being tucked under the rug and, and, you know, the city being portrayed is really pretty. Even though, you know, we have this nebulous idea right now in Anchorage that it's dangerous, you know, and, and we're like, oh, that area is dangerous or this area is dangerous. But right now we also have kind of this image of the whole city being dangerous because stuff is happening everywhere. We're in the, you know, more affluent Mm -hmm. areas of town. So all that to say, like, what type of of journalism right now do you think is important?
2: I just recently got there's like a whole movement of people. um, There's some cool courses online, actually, that are free and you can take them. And it's just solutions based journalism. Like, the point is that you can talk about all this gritty shit. If you're going to report on a potential solution, then you're showing, like, what your bias might be or what you think could be done about the problem or sort of expressing more maybe your personal opinion about what particular things are really wrong and all that. But you know what? Like, I feel like right now it's our job. And if that's if that's the time that we live in is that no longer, you know, we can't just do unbiased reporting anymore in a lot of cases, and that's fine. Um you're going to perceive
1: something in your own way based on where you came from, so yeah. there'll be a little bit of bias. But if you're still trying to stick to those core values of, you know, just presenting as much objective truth as you can for the for the reader, for the listener, for the viewer to dissect, mm-hmm. then you, then you're doing it. You know, and it's kind of. I thought it was funny there that you mentioned solutions-based journalism because my next question was going to be like, so when you're reporting on the darker sides of the city. And these things what is the goal with that why do you report it
2: because you want it to get better right I mean presumably like it's touched you in some way and you want to fix the problem so point being I think that that's going to sort of be our job going forward Is you can't just report anymore about like the ugly shit you got to come with two people with like here's a concrete solution you can't just try and pull on people's heartstrings because that just turns them off the world is too fucking ugly we get too much of that everywhere um, so, yeah, I mean, and it's hard for someone like me to, like, I just, I get really mad. And I, I like, I, I meet people all the time that, again, you know, don't know something like trafficking is even a problem in Anchorage. And especially the ones that are really don't seem to care, you know, I really want to shove their noses in it. Like, fuck you, asshole. Like, look at what is happening in your city yeah. and you, this doesn't matter to you. Like, what's wrong with you? So, but we have to sort of fight that inclination, I think, um, Tell the stories, do it justice, but it's not. I don't want to be like a shock jock journalist. I want to present that this is a problem, but also that there, like, this isn't something that we can't solve if we care about it in our community.
0: How does solution-based journalism? Uh, I understand presenting the problem, but how do you, how do you present a solution? I mean, what does that look like in the article or in, in the piece of journalism?
2: Again, sort of, you know, like finding places people that have come up with new strategies and where they've tried them out and what are the results been from those things and like you know let's let's incorporate whatever unique situations we have in our city and maybe like here's a potential way that we could spin this to work in alaska um and and that's
0: that's in the hopes that somebody who can affect change Mm -hmm. will will see that
2: or the people will want to get together and Yeah. Do something about it. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Because typically, you know, news reporting or journalism is not, you just sort of tell the story and then you leave it up to people's interpretation, like what they want to do with that, if they want to tune it out. And I think it just, it makes it seem, I don't want to be fatalistic about anything because that doesn't fucking help. We can't just throw our hands up and say, oh, there's nothing that we can do about this.
1: Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a living document, right? So it's like, you present your solutions and then other people come by and they look at those solutions and they challenge them and they say okay and then this you know the studies build and that's kind of the thing it's like we probably just need more journalists looking at these things and presenting ideas but we also need journalists that like you know they, they subscribe to values that a journalist should subscribe to right in what way what, what values are you like Less entertainment and making money and more like I'm out here to bring the truth out. I care about this. You know, the like red blooded Mm -hmm. journalists, Mm -hmm. you know, that that literally care about what they're reporting on and want to do a good job. And you need more of those because it's like right now we're in a place where it's like if someone has a different view, you don't even give them credit anymore. You don't mm-hmm. respect them, right? But it's like we need a place where, like, one journalist respects the other journalist with a different view.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just feel like the, the industry of media is being torn apart right now. and it's it's Absolutely. I, I keep mentioning this, but it's just not doing its job that it's supposed to do.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I know I always bring up institutions, but I think that when someone goes from – let's use the journalist as an example – they go from college, which is an institution, and they learn institutionalized journalism, and yeah. they go from that institution, say to a newspaper, right, and which is another institution, and you are going to learn that form of journalism from the old guard, and and you are going to be indoctrinated uh, to tell stories that way because you think that it, it's it's the standard, right, right, and so then you become that type of journalist regardless of whether you know why you got into it that doesn't matter anymore you are put on assignment go report on timmy's baseball game you mm-hmm. know and there, there's a, there's a place for that type of journalism but it's not the type of journalism in my opinion that we need right now right so there's there's a lack of trust in news and the media right now so awesome. how, do, how how do news organizations rebuild that trust
2: i don't know if they can I think they're frankly going to be replaced by podcasts. I don't listen to the news anymore. I don't. I haven't turned on NPR in months. You know what I mean? Like I have my six or eight and I guess I'm sort of pigeonholing myself. I also follow Fox News on Facebook because I feel obligated to hear what they're fucking talking about. But um, yeah, there's like six or eight people that to me are, you know, patient thinkers, you know, like they, they take time to really view things from all sides. And when something crazy in the world happens, like I want to go see what they have to say about stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, like a three minute news bite, even on NPR anymore, though I value what they do. I just think it's going to be replaced by like long form conversations like this in which experts can talk to each other. And I don't know if that old form of news journalism, I don't know how they save themselves. Like, why would you listen to a three minute snippet when you could listen to somebody talk for an hour that's like really knowledgeable about whatever the subject is that you're interested in. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: We are are reverting back to almost the beginning of mass communication.
2: Yeah. I mean- Where people used to sit around the old old tube at night and listen to, what was it, War of the Worlds? Yeah. Not not that, but yeah. Or people would turn out to like bunch of philosophers get together in city square, you know, and they debate some topic and that's how you decided where you fell. You know in, in in the spectrum of of opinions, so was that better? I don't know if it's better. I mean yeah. it's sort of what we're doing. yeah, you know? yeah that's yeah. what I do. like I said, I go around and like sample a bunch of different people's opinions and decide well, where I, it I land down
1: to the motivations of the people that are the thought leaders, and I feel like some of the motivations behind thought leaders right now are just to divide us.
0: I always look at um, certain things like. What bathrooms we should use as a society, and I really don't. I try not to pay attention to them because, mm-hmm. to me, it's a, it is, it's a distraction. Yeah. Um, but what it is, I think, to people that actually pay attention to it and get hook, line, and sinkered, it's a band aid. That's something that can be fixed, right? We can we can walk over and take take the label off a off a door. Yeah. much easier than we can, you know, fix the. You know, the the, deficit. Yeah, the deficit. Like that's that's insurmountable. Right.
1: Yeah. But you know what? You you know, you're like, okay, well, this isn't really that important. And it's not to most people. But to some people, it's like the most important issue. Sure. Because they're like, I can't be who I am. And so this is something that
0: I've learned as I've gotten older is it's much easier to get angry than it is to try to understand something.
1: Mm hmm. Oh, because yeah.
0: understanding is like, you have to sit down, you have to be contemplative, you have to listen, you have to not talk, which people fucking love doing is talking.
2: Yeah. Hey,
0: let me tell you about every fucking thing that I think that I know about. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the mindset we're in right now, especially now that um, opinion somehow trumps...
2: Facts. Yeah. It,
0: it's It's unbelievable. Yeah. Something has to happen. I have faith in our generation. I really do.
2: Sure, they have faith in us power. too. But I think, like the frankly, like technology in the world and and shit is going to be so vastly different twenty five years from now. Like all the problems we're trying to figure out how to solve are just. I hate to be that person, but I think about it all the time. When artificial intelligence blows up, which it's going to, Mm -hmm. most of the people in this country aren't going to have jobs anymore. Mm -hmm. So we're arguing about labels on bathrooms and who gives a fuck? What are we going to do with all those people? You know what I mean? Like, Uh, is everyone going to starve? Is like, they're just, I'm I'm frankly baffled. Yeah.
0: I think what you're getting at is that conversation hasn't even started or or if it has started, it, it has started within such a a niche community that they're still like the quacks. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, look at what those idiots over there are talking about. We don't even want to pay attention to them. In the it's same... like the Elon Musks.
2: People love to talk about what a dick he is, and then they're not, you know, I'm like, but look at what he's doing. <laughs> you guys are not focusing on the... Let him be a dick. Well, yeah, you know, it's I'm kind not of saying like... let him be a dick, but like... <laughs> well, some of
1: these monopolists back in the day were dicks, the, the, you know, the Rockefellers and the J.P. Morgans and stuff, but they... Sometimes it takes a dick. You know, okay, so Donald Trump is a fucking dick. Whether you like the way it's being shaken up or not, it is. And mm-hmm. we are going to have to rebuild...
2: He's a lightning rod.
1: ...the international world order, you know, all our trade, um, the way the fundamentals of our democracy work. Yeah. You know what? He's not just destroying it. He's building the pieces back together. He's laying somewhat of a new foundation, but I think that's the good thing about... The way our system works, where you can't just be like a dictator for life, is that you can only rebuild it. You can only do so much before the next person comes in and adds their part.
0: Or is this just Stockholm syndrome? What's that mean?
2: That we are. You fall in love with your captor, your kidnapper.
0: Yeah. So so the longer that Trump is president, we're convincing ourselves that he is doing some things right, even if we are opposed to him
1: oh i'm
2: sure and honestly because yeah, otherwise we'll slit our fucking wrists man <laughs> god well, not sorry everyone. for being some dramatic people, but... some people
1: are like you're my savior and i love what you're doing right mm-hmm. not everyone wants to slit their wrists at donald trump no um
2: and then the people that love him also make me okay, want to slit so my wrists you're, you're
1: the leader of the free world <laughs> and everything you say is projected over every news channel and whatnot you become a role model and I think what's really crazy about Donald Trump as a role model in America is that he is killing, like, our moral, like, center. You know, it's... So a, was it's reality a, television. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, but this it's is... It's the lowest common denominator in American the, the, culture. What, what I'm realizing is how much of an impact, I think, Donald Trump or, like, the presidency has on society. Like oh, yeah. It might be the ultimate role model because I even look at myself and after, like, two years of seeing him, I'm kind of like... Maybe it's okay to just talk shit to people. Maybe it's okay just to care about yourself. I I kind of see myself changing a little bit because I see, like, it doesn't matter how much he lies. It doesn't matter who he attacks. He still stays on top. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's okay. You know, maybe, like, okay, maybe sometimes you have to be inhumane and separate kids from their parents in order to prove something or to, like, change policy you know what i mean it's like we used to like america used to want to be like humane and and be an example to the world mm-hmm. right yeah at, even at our own detriment sometimes right but we did it because we wanted to set an example and it seems like under trump we don't want to set that example anymore we don't give a shit it's just all about what's best for me now what if trump is our
0: professor snape
2: mm-hmm.
0: what if we find oh, out
2: damn <laughs> Oh, wow. What if oh, we mean? find... So,
0: you're not it's, familiar with Harry Potter? No. So, Professor Snape is the asshole throughout the entire book series, but then at He's the very end... He's a terrible
2: villain who is terrible to Harry Potter the whole yeah, time. Yeah, okay, I remember and that. And then part. you yeah,
0: find out that he did all of this for the benefit of Harry Potter. To
2: protect him. To protect him. It was his master plan the whole time, but in order to like pull all of that off, he had to be somebody that Harry hated... Um, An
1: antagonist of some kind.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Professor Snape. Yeah. That's one of the bigger differences. Everything that Donald Trump does and says and has throughout history, because he was on Howard Stern all the time talking Mm about pussy, which is just, oh my God, he's the president now. But it's all recorded. You know what I mean? Like we have access to all of that. And I don't feel like any president in history, maybe a little bit Barack Obama, um, but just we know all of it. We get all of it all the time. We're, like, constantly bombarded with whatever he's doing or saying. And I don't think that's been true of any president before. So it was easier to, like, you know, you just saw whatever speeches he got up behind the desk in the Oval Office and made to people. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't know everything about his personal life. Security he probably... Version. Yeah. Like, people would have fucking hated John F. Kennedy if he was the president now. Oh, easily. Like what, he the was things... fucking all the broads. Yeah. All of them. You know?
0: I've thought that Barack Obama was the the Apple of presidents like the Apple computers of presidents and it's because of of how he was he put himself out there everything was I think really curated Mm -hmm. he's a great speaker Mm -hmm. he is I think above and beyond like he is a celebrity yeah um more than anything else as far as like his appearance so yeah I don't I don't know where I was going with that but I think Mm -hmm. that
1: Apple computers
0: The Apple computers of a president. It's very sleek. Yeah, he he looks great. Mm -hmm. You know, he comes off great. I mean, have you ever heard him stumble over his words?
2: No, I heard him sing though, and he's real good at it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Everything. He's a robot.
2: Yeah. Yep. No scandals. Yeah. Happy family. Mm -hmm. He's a Cylon. Maybe he was the first AI. Anyway. Let's
1: just go ahead. Let's jump right into conspiracy theories. No, I'm <laughs> not doing it. Definitely. I'm not this doing it. It's way too long. I found out. It's <laughs> taking us way too long.
2: <laughs> there was a flat earther in my house recently. Was there really? Oh, yeah. They're and it turns out. What was out, that like? Uh, well, he's like, he's somebody that I otherwise like greatly enjoy his company. He's incredibly talented. He's an amazing guitar player. But, but then all that came out. And to him, like me being on, I was like, Mm-mm, we don't talk about that in this house. Like I just laid it out there. This is not, this is not the place. Which didn't stop him at all, um,
1: <laughs> and like, but Arthurs can't be.
2: Stopped. No, they can't. And to, <laughs> to him, like my my like reluctance to engage in this conversation was that I must you know be uncomfortable at my core, and maybe I'm questioning it. and We should just dig into this even further because, anyway, I don't want to talk bad about him. He's a really cool guy, but it was it just I was like, I didn't even know what to how to respond to some of the things that he was saying. Like, like what, what
0: were they? I mean, you don't have yeah. to talk about him specifically, but like talk what? about him specifically yeah I talk guess. about him specifically well there's
2: that a bunch sense. of you know like well the earth is covered in water and if it's spinning so fast why doesn't the water fly off if you spin a wet tennis ball around the water flies off Whoa. and i'm like okay well gravity and blah 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 well you know we don't really know that gravity's real anyway what that's the one that i remember because i was oh, most shit. like but the earth is not a tennis ball you're, you're not comparing the same thing anyway but all of them and you're a human you're not going to be able to a smart human (laughs) of he's so smart that's why it's so confusing but everything that he brought up i was like you know if you're you know in an airplane and moving and why can't you see the earth moving under you if it's whatever all of it was stuff that like you spend five minutes on google and they're easily you know just debunked these weird theories so it was it was really confusing to me i was like how are you so fucking brilliant And also this, (laughs) also this, yeah, he was, he was the first one.
0: I wonder what knowledge is going to look like in the future, because we have, we have such a plethora of like different resources online that we can go to, like Googling something, right? Like a friend mentioned something, maybe you call bullshit on it, you're like, I got to check this out. What is stopping that, that top link in your Google search? From being like the absolute wrong thing. Nothing. You know, and, and you just believing in it. And then that is kind of this self perpetuating thing where you're just being fed misinformation.
2: No, I think what it comes down to is like, because that's what he would have said, right? Well, you're looking at NASA's webpage, yeah. NASA's a government shill, whatever. But at a certain point, you just have to have faith in people. Like, who are those scientists? Who are those yeah, journalists? Have to, like,
1: cite their stuff. There's this process. It's, you know, it's based on the scientific method. Sure,
2: but people don't believe scientists anymore. You say the word science and research, and there are certain people that tune you out because they think you're lying to them. Sure.
1: One, one organization and those scientists can kind of tweak things, right? That's why, like, you have journals, you know, that kind of, like, take all this information together and based on, like, these nine studies done by separate organizations we decide on this
2: if you think you're being lied to all the time none of that matters mm-hmm. it doesn't matter yeah. what you cite as a source which is one of the things that's most disturbing to me because <laughs> you know that was my friend is one of the he's talking about nasa and that the moon landing is faked and all those pictures from space aren't real and whatever and Does i was you like believe
0: but, in the stanley kubrick like, i don't know
2: i think we glossed over it a little bit but my point like in order for that to be true The number, the thousands of people that would have to be, like, maintaining one collective lie and never slipping. I'm like, look, here's this lady that I like to follow on Twitter, and she's a badass astronaut, and she spent time at the International Space Station, and she's, like, so inspired by looking down at the planet, and she wants to share it with all of us. That would require that everything that she's ever put on the Internet is a lie or that she's fake, and so are all the other thousands of people that have participated in these programs, and that's just fucking ridiculous. You have to have faith in people. At yeah. the end, like, they're, totally. we're, we're not totally. smart enough exactly. to maintain lies on that scale yeah, yeah, yeah. for long periods of time. It's
1: like the dumb fuck theory of, like, these child actors at the school shootings. It's like, don't Oh, you my think God. Yeah. If, like, if there was, like, a oh, hypothetical actor of a student on the news, someone from that school would be like, actually, that person never went here. You
2: would think that would happen. You would think like they'd be
0: because like...
1: Because it, it com-
2: would.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if they- you think that it wouldn't, you have not been around teenagers recently. Yeah. yeah. So so you had mentioned that you recently learned a lot about how, how growing up in an environment in which you're always on guard changes the brain.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was a bunch of...
0: What did you mean by that?
2: We had a... Um, his name's Dr. Ken Ginsberg, and he came to do a training at Covenant House recently. And I'll try and keep this short, but it was so fascinating Um I think lots of people have heard about, you know, the basic concept that if you grow up in an environment sort of riddled with trauma, that your brain develops differently than somebody who grows up in a household where you get hugged all the time, you get fed when you're hungry, you get picked up when you're scared. Sure. Um, and when you don't, though, when you are from a very young age, especially like, you know, from like zero to three, you hit you you're in like a developmental, just like supercharged. And then there's another period when you're like 25 or something. But um, particularly during those developmental years, your, so your amygdala is like at the very root of your brain on the top of your brainstem, right? It's like the size of your fist. Um, they call it your lizard brain, you know, because all animals have it. It's the seat of instincts and um, your very most basic instincts, really, fight or flight and fear responses and that kind of stuff. To your
1: spinal cord, which can like exactly nerves. Yeah,
2: because yeah. it's, yes, closest to the rest of your body and whatever. Um but one of the things that he was talking about that I didn't really know to this extent was that so if you're growing up um, on high alert all the times, you never know like when your fucking dad's going to come home drunk and beat you up or beat up your mom or like maybe somebody's hurting you at night and you are you can't sleep, you're hypervigilant all the time. So there's two hormones that play a dominant role in that, like right adrenaline is fight or flight and it shuts down most of the rest of your you know processes so that you can get away if you need to or fight if you need to. But the other one is cortisol is a stress hormone, and it's released in your body when you need to remain hypervigilant, when you're like worried about something, you got to be on the lookout, whatever. And cortisol is also an immune suppressant. So when you grow up as a young child through your developmental years with your body flooded with cortisol all the time, one of the things that it does, and one of the reasons that people that come from like a, a high trauma background have such higher incidences of. Heart disease and diabetes and, and 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 illnesses like cancer. Part of that they think is contributed to by the fact that you're flooded with cortisol and it's an immune suppressant. So as you're developing, like you don't grow up with a healthy immune system the same way that you would if you don't have to be on alert all the time. So, which I just think is so interesting. You know, I, I get in arguments on the fucking internet all the time with people that are like you know, all these Americans are sick and they're fat and why don't they just stop eating like shit and, you know, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps thinking. Mm -hmm. And that even down to that very small detail, it's like, all right, well, look at the people that you're talking about. Are they coming from generations of abuse? And like, are they coming from generations of families that like have this developed in this fashion? Um, Because it does affect like you being able to get healthy and stay healthy later in your life. It's not the same even on that level, um, which I just thought was super interesting
1: we want to fix our problems as society but mm-hmm. well, we need to look at it from that point of view and we need these studies and we need this information and a lot of this stuff is just coming to view like now yeah based on social sciences and biological sciences and our like really push
2: for it it's an investment in the future you know what i mean like if we want are the problems that we have now to stop we have to have kids that don't grow up in these environments yeah The other cool thing that he talked about, though, while I'm thinking about it. He encouraged us greatly to like and it's another reason that I try to be so conscious about like how I talk about people. I don't want to refer to them as victims. They're not broken. Like that's bullshit. We don't teach the kids at Covenant House to think about themselves that way. We don't let them like we set high expectations for them because they will, as he said, you know, live up or down to whatever expectations you set. But the other thing that was so fascinating to me about like the amygdala, he talked a lot about that. Is that so we have all these kids that grew up on high alert, their amygdala, it it gets set off super easily. They get triggered by things that wouldn't upset maybe you or me, you know, like loud noises or somebody's yelling down the block and, you know, you go into fight or flight, even when you're not actually in real danger. Um, But the other thing that develops very strongly in the amygdala, the other like the other things that are rooted in it are things like loyalty and compassion and perception And he was like, I want us to just reframe the way that we talk about kids that have gone through these troubles. If if we can teach them when they're actually safe, they don't need to be in fight or flight. If we can teach them skills to like turn off the, the alert responses, all of those other qualities shine through and we have a whole group of kids that could potentially be leaders in the future that will be able to lead us with wisdom and perspective because they've been through hard times that care about others you know what i mean they have they have the traits that we want in people that are leaders but you can't talk about them like they're broken mm-hmm. and i just oh my god that was also, that was so awesome to me i loved it
0: You can support local grassroots journalism at Patreon.com slash Crude Magazine. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform that makes it easy for you to support content that matters to
1: our community for as little as $1 a month. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by Cody Liska and Dustin H. James for Crude Magazine. Intro music was produced by Alkota Beats.